and welcome to the latest episode of BHI in Focus. I'm your guide, Ree, and today we are talking to Sarah Eldridge. Sarah is an adolescent mental health and youth worker with over 20 years experience. Her areas of passion include working with the homeless, at-risk young people, and working with youth that are disengaged from mainstream education. She is currently working as an educator in the community health courses at Box Hill Institute. Her passion for the sector is evident with how she instills this with her student cohort, teaching them to hone in on the skills that would make them best practice workers. Her authentic, genuine teaching style attracted a nomination from her students and a win in 2019 for the Teacher of the Year Award in the Staff Achievement and Recognition Program. Sarah continues to evolve her skill set and is currently completing a Master's of Adolescent Health and Wellbeing at the University of Melbourne. The focus of her thesis is exploring what teenagers from High School Wellbeing Centre post-Black Saturday found the most helpful to their recovery. Sarah, welcome to BHI in Focus. Thanks for having me. Now, as someone that's worked in the industry and now as an educator, what are some of the trends you are seeing in the sector? Oh, there's so many post the Royal Commission into mental health in Victoria. So probably the number one trend I'm seeing is that um, everybody's talking about mental health now. And probably even five or six years ago, there was still a lot of stigma around mental health. And so that kind of excites me as an educator and as a practitioner. Uh, The other area that's probably moving more into focus in mental health is the idea of peer support. So workers that have lived experience themselves of mental health, now becoming mental health practitioners. So that might be um, lived experience in their own mental health, but it might be a loved one, friends at school, that sort of stuff. And having to navigate a really difficult uh, system and deciding this is too hard and it should be easier and so coming to study uh, and start a career in mental health which is really exciting. How do you leverage your relationships within the sector to benefit the students at Uh, Box Hill Institute? I've got the best friends in the sector. I'm so lucky. I think working 20 years has meant that I've met some of the very best, but I haven't just worked for 20 years. My parents actually started one of the first uh, homeless youth refuges in Australia uh, six months after I was born. So I've actually been around the mental health sector and the um, community services sector for my entire life, and I'm not going to say how long that is, but it's a long time, (laughs) Um, considering that I started work at 18 in the industry. Uh, So I've been really lucky that I have grown up around some really fantastic people that have made the sector what it is today, Um, and they've been passionate about mentoring people as well. So I've been really lucky to call on them and say, hey, I've got these students, would you be willing to chat to them? I've got friends that I've worked with in the past who are fascinated by the job that I'm doing and they're saying, I'd really love to come and talk to your students. So uh, initially they would come into the classroom and talk to my students in person. COVID made that a little bit difficult. (laughs) So we started what we call BHI Ed Talks. So similar to TED Talks where 
either I interview them or they just record themselves talking about their area of expertise and we've found that to be really helpful for our students. One, because it's a bit of a break from their everyday teachers Mm -hmm. but two, because they're hearing from some of the sector leaders which is really important I think. Why is it so important for you to pass your skill set onto the next generation of mental health workers? Yeah, that's a really good question and one I get asked all the time. And one of the things that I like to tell my students is I loved working in the industry. So it wasn't a case of I was burnt out, I hated it, I didn't want to work with clients anymore. Wasn't like that at all. What I saw, I I was burnt out. Every mental health practitioner in the country is burnt out at the moment. But um, what I actually saw was this unique opportunity with free TAFE that I, as a practitioner, might get to work at best with maybe 50 to 100 people in a year, at best if I was doing kind of crisis type work. Um, Mostly you work with maybe 30 to 40 if you're doing some of the long-term stuff. But if I'm teaching, I get to make an impact on that many times how many students I teach. So I'm already watching my students going out and working in some incredible jobs and I just sit there going, I know that they're ready to work in those roles because I taught them to be best practice. I set the bar quite high for them. I tell them I don't lower it. Um, And that's because when they go out into the industry, I want them not just to be ready, but to be confident that what they're able to do with clients is going to make a difference. So I think that's why I do it. I do it because I love my students. Um, I do it because the impact that it has on the industry is far greater than anything I as an individual could do and I do it because I think that for a long time um, particularly TAFE education hasn't been valued by our industry but we can change that by the quality of our teachers and getting out there and saying you know me you are well aware of what sort of worker I am imagine what sort of student I'm putting out there and our entire team have a minimum of 10 years experience um, before they teach with us. You have a very big sense of pride when you're talking about your students. Is that why it's so important for you to implement self-care with them as well as part of your curriculum? Yeah, look, I have seen in my career and myself I've experienced it, um, burnout happening quite significantly between one and five years, the first burnout will often happen. For a bunch of those people, they'll never return to working in mental health. It's just too much. And so I don't want my students to have worked so hard only to six months, 12 months, 18 months later burn out and never work in the industry again. So right from day one, I implement uh, Sarah's three rules to tackle burnout. The first rule is practice daily self-care. And I remind them self-care is not manicures and martinis, though that's sometimes fun. (laughs) Self-care is eating well. It's getting enough sleep. It's getting some form of exercise in your day, whether that's going just for a walk around the block, even if that's just doing some stretches or something like that. I'm, I'm not quite an exerciser myself, but each day I'll try and get outside and do some stretches just to get some fresh air and move my body. Um, the second one that I tell them that they need to do is get themselves a psychologist or a mental health social worker just to 
um, make sure that their own mental health is kept in check. And getting that early on is really important because you've got the relationship by the time stuff gets hard. Um, And the third one is I tell them to find a good mentor that's going to continue to invest in them beyond their study. And all of those things are acts of self-care. And also are really good for their clients to see that they too take their mental health really seriously. I also practice what I preach. I have a psychologist that I talk to when I need to. I have a bunch of mentors and I practice daily self-care, including sometimes in the middle of the day. Sometimes I'll say to my students, we're all a bit flat today. How about we all take 15 minutes and go outside or make a coffee or do some breathing exercises because, you know, there's no use continuing to struggle through today's class if we're all just feeling very flat. What's the uh, biggest piece of advice you you would give to a student that's currently studying in the courses that sit in the care sector? Yeah, one of the things I would say is we need you and we need you just as yourself. Uh, I don't, I always say to my students, don't try and be like myself. Don't try and be like Nicole or Christian or Adrian or Eileen, the other teachers in our area, because where we already exist, what we need is them and their uniqueness. So um, if you're in the care sector, just showing up as yourself Mm -hmm. is really, really important. Um, There is great power in just showing up for people, Mm. uh, even more so than best practice skills. I think just the act of being present for another individual is really powerful. And the other thing my other big piece of advice um, is there's a fine line between self-care and self-medication, uh, but sometimes we need a bit of self-medication. So if you're just going to binge watch Bridgerton all weekend, um, that's okay because sometimes our brain and our body just needs a break. Um, and, yes, it's probably not the healthiest thing to do because, let's be honest, we're probably also uber eating and not eating so well when we're doing that and that sort of stuff. But actually sometimes our bodies just need that reset. Um, So it's okay to have just days where you don't eat well, where you just sleep all day, where you eat the entire packet of Tim Tams and drink the whole bottle of wine. Just make sure that's not an everyday thing for you. Let's move on and talk about Future State. Yeah, great. Where do you see the industry in the next three to five years? I'm a little... um, Uh, I'm a little controversial in this. I'm not really. A lot of industry professionals would agree with me on this. I think what we're going to see is people professionalising in one area. So traditionally is... And I, I, this is probably a hope more than a guarantee. Mm. Um, I think we'll start to see a value in the TAFE education again in this area. For a long time, it's kind of been made the poor cousin of um, higher education. But what I'm starting to see at the conferences that I present at is people genuinely interested in our students. And the reason they're interested in our students is that um, in higher education, you might not meet a client until year three. Right. Our students are client ready within six months of working in their courses. And when we start having those conversations with industry, 
they're fascinated by that. What is the difference between TAFE and um, higher education? And and so there's always going to be a need for higher education. I'm certainly not slamming it. Doing a master's myself, um, really value higher education. But I do think that we are going to see a return back to that value in vocational education, which I, as an educator, am really excited about. Speaking of the pandemic, research has indicated that during the pandemic, mental health-related services increased in usage. Mm -hmm. Why is what we're teaching now so important? Yeah, this is something that actually I have been talking. So this year I've been able to go to two international conferences and present at both of them. Um, And something that comes up repeatedly is that we've got this crisis at the moment in um, psychologists and social workers being having massive waiting lists as a result of the pandemic. So people that have never needed a psychologist or never needed mental health care before all of a sudden need mental health care. And so immediately their brain goes, oh, I'm feeling really down and depressed or really anxious, I need to see a psychologist. And we're looking at between 12 and 18 months waiting list for a lot of psychologists, well, most of the good ones. In fact, some of the good ones have had to close their books. Um, And so one of the things that our students are able to offer is that I would say the majority of people just need somebody that can teach them some basic skills in their mental health and self-care. So what we saw in the pandemic was people that had never suffered mental illness before, all of a sudden feeling these emotions and feelings they'd never had before. And that's basically because particularly here in Victoria, all of the things that normally they would do that bring them life go to the gym, go out for dinner with friends, go and have a couple of drinks after work with um, colleagues, all of those things were taken from them. And so all of a sudden, everyone's self-care changed and they didn't have the resilience because they'd never had to because they had really good systems in place that were giving them life day to day all of a sudden those were taken from them. That's enough to make anyone depressed or anxious. So I think that our students are trained basically from their first units to be able to teach people how to implement some um, acts of self-care in their day-to-day, how to cope with things such as um, anxiety attacks and things like that, so some really good coping strategies for clients. And the other thing that they're able to do is be able to recognise what is in their scope of practice. So we're not training them to be qualified to diagnose someone with major depression or anxiety disorder or bipolar or anything like that. What we are training them to do is recognise the difference between a period of time that somebody is experiencing mental health concerns and an actual mental illness and when we need to actually make a referral to a professional. Now, if we actually got that word out in the community more, the roles that our students could play in this pandemic um, would probably help us see a lowering of wait times for the professionals. So that's what we're training them for. They're certainly getting jobs in those new mental health hubs in Victoria. They're
getting jobs in NDIS, um, supporting NDIS clients. And um, I'm really excited to see where our students land in the next three to five years because I think they've got a really valuable role to play. It's expected post-pandemic, if that's what we call this Mm -hmm. period of time, uh, that the virtual healthcare system will expand Mm. as well as the increased use of technology. How do you see this uh, impacting the mental health sector? Yeah, look, I think it's interesting because we had to, we all had to go online immediately, right? As teachers, we had to totally shift our style of teaching. Medical professionals who have always said, no, sorry, we can't talk to you over the phone or do a Zoom call with you, you have to come in. All of a sudden, we're able to give you a prescription over your phone and have a conversation over the phone for things that didn't need you to present for. And in the mental health sector, what we actually saw was um, Zoom calls happening for clients as as counselling sessions. And even in a lot of NDIS services, Zoom calls would happen as the psychosocial support, that kind of just dialing in to check on the client, that sort of stuff. I think in the post-pandemic stage, we'll probably see a bit of a continuation of that. Um, we're certainly going to see a lot of a lot more people engage in the online crisis care that we're seeing people engage with because people don't like to use their phones as much anymore. They're happy to sit and type on a computer or take a Zoom call and see someone face-to-face, but talking on the phone, particularly for the younger generations, it's just not something that they want to do. Um, so I think we'll definitely see a rise in that and Some of the things I'm really excited about are the ways that we thought outside the box for um, creating social opportunities for people who have mental health issues. So we've seen online Dungeons and Dragons groups start. We've seen online chess classes start. We've seen online um, dinner groups. So I know of one agency who um, had a lot of young mums and they said, you know what we're going to do? It Once a week we're going to send them a box of food and they're going to cook together and they're going to eat together. And that group was only funded for 10 sessions. But from what I've heard, those mums have continued that on post the funding period for that. So I think we're going to see a lot more thinking outside the box and certainly One of the activities I do with my students is tell them, hey, you've just been given this funding. Um, How are you going to spend it? Think outside the box on what doesn't exist. And I hear some really exciting ideas coming from students that I've never thought of before and I've been around a long time. So I think we've got this real space for creativity at the moment and I hope that we don't go back to business as usual. Um, And I don't think we will. I think people are starting to see the benefit of um, being able to offer a dual approach of online services and in-person services. That's so cool. So for the employees of tomorrow, what are three key things that you are teaching and instilling? Yeah, so the first one is um, we haven't actually hit the mental health crisis yet for the pandemic. What we know about recovery and certainly something that I observed as a recovery worker post-Black Saturday is that the mental health crisis actually hits between two to five years after 
things have returned to normal, in inverted commas. Um, And that's because the majority of people have moved on, but there's a subset of people who are still feeling the impacts. And so one of the things I have taught my students and we continue to teach our students is keep a lookout in the next two to five years for the people that are being left behind because they're the ones that are going to need your services the most. So that's number one. The second one is for them to value the cross-section between disability and psychosocial disability, so mental health and disability. There's a lot of crossover and a lot of them are going to be finding work in the NDIS. And we've got excellent disability workers that they can work alongside, but what they value add to a disability worker who's never had to work in mental health is that they've got skills they can teach as well. So to be open to learning more about disability, but also be open to teaching others about mental health. And the third thing that uh, we really instill in our students is that um, you are your your client work is only as good as your own health and mental health. So staying on top of your own mental health and well-being is pivotal to your work. It's not just something that we talk about. It's the thing that your clients will need the most. You can't help someone when you're drowning yourself. So we, we do a lot of focus around making sure that they're aware of some of the areas that they might come unstuck in in their own mental health and well-being so that they can put systems in place early on in their career. There's something in that for all of us, I think. I think so too, yeah. And that's all for BHI in Focus. Stay tuned. We have some exciting episodes to come. But first, we want to hear from you. Make sure you tell us what you thought of this episode on Yammer or send us an email to staffcoms at boxhill.edu.au. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you.